Now, today we're going to be looking at a message I call not running in vain. Not running in vain from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them that were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Not running in vain. Now, immediately, it's necessary for us to establish today that the Apostle Paul wasn't doubting the gospel that he preached or expressing some kind of concern about its validity when he was saying, I wanted to make sure that I had not run in vain. Uh, The message that Paul was preaching came to him directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's already established that in chapter 1 and verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. This gospel that Paul received came directly to him by revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, one of the things that they were saying of Paul was that Paul couldn't possibly be trusted. Uh, He had just uh, got his message, whatever it was, from other people, uh, just like everybody else had to get the message. But Paul said, no, I didn't get it from anybody. I got it from the Lord Jesus Christ by direct revelation. Now, in in today's world, there are many, many voices, religious leaders, writers, entertainers, Christians very casually saying, the Lord told me, or God revealed this to me, or God showed me, whatever. And I want you to know this morning that if the Lord is telling you something by revelation, then you really can't shun to say that whatever he has told you is just as true and just as authoritative as what God told Paul or what God told Peter or what God told Luke or any of the other New Testament writers. But very few people claim that kind of authority. And so they want to try to get us to believe that there is some kind of a lesser revelation going on from God today. And and it's not quite as authoritative, but most people just blow past that. And they begin to think that everybody gets their own private uh, message from God. and, And God will tell you exactly what he wants you to do. And what has gone on with this is it has rapidly eroded the authority of Scripture. Uh, After all, folk, if God gives you a direct message like that, uh, chances are if it contradicts something that God said a long time ago, you're going to believe this current up-to-date message. That's exactly what's happening in our world today. And it's going on uh, in incredible ways. I'm very suspicious of anybody who tells me that God uh, told me this. I've even had people come up to me and say, God told me to tell you. And that's a little bit odd uh, when uh, somebody said, well, God told me this. Uh, I have a lot of com- I don't have a lot of confidence in that. In fact, I don't have any confidence in it. But I have every confidence in what God told the apostles. And the reason is because Jesus gave them special signs to validate what they were saying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul brought that up to the church at Corinth and said, Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The signs of an apostle. Jesus referred to that in Mark chapter 16. These signs 
shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up in heaven and set out on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. You see, exactly as Jesus had promised, these apostles went forth in and worked these signs. Because, you see, they were going out into a world. The Bible had not been written, uh, completed, and they were going out in the world with this exact message. God told me this. God revealed this to me. God showed me this. And so, in order to confirm that message, they were able to do these incredible, incredible signs. The Bible talks about how that uh, the apostles emptied the villages around Jerusalem as people brought in all of their sick people. Imagine what a crowd that was. And the Bible says they were healed, everyone. The lepers were healed. The blind were healed. Those who could not speak were able to speak. Those who uh, could not hear were miraculously given the ability to hear. People who were dying, maybe carried in, and they were all healed. Nobody was brought in in a wheelchair and then went out in a wheelchair. Nobody came in on crutches and went out in crutches. No, that wasn't it. They were healed, every one. The apostles even raised the dead. They were given the ability to speak languages on demand that they had never studied so that when there was a need for them to speak foreign languages, bow, they had it. Signs of an apostle. Nobody is doing the signs of an apostle today. Nobody's running around healing kids of terminal cancer. Nobody's hanging around up at children's hospital taking care of everybody that comes in the door and sending them home healed. Nobody is doing that today. You see, the apostles then had these amazing, miraculous signs that verified and validated that their message was from the Lord. Now, it's not necessary for that to continue because it was already established and validated. So I say it again. Though somebody comes up to me today saying, God told me this. I have no confidence in that. But I have every confidence when the apostles said the Lord told me this. Why? Because they proved it. They preached the word of God with signs following. Now Paul knew then by revelation that he needed to go to Jerusalem and visit with the other apostles. Remember that Jesus told Paul to get out of Jerusalem because they would not receive his testimony concerning him. In fact, he told them, I'll send you far hence. We'll talk more about that later. Now Jesus tells Paul that it's time to go back to Jerusalem and have a visit. Fourteen years has passed. And the events that happened there when Paul went back had a, both a public uh, a, a, a affirmation. There was a, a public discussion of these things as he met with the whole church. But there was also a private discussion. This is only alluded to in Acts 15 and verse 6. The apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. 
Now, Paul had avoided spending time with the apostles because he knew that people would say, if he did, that exactly what they were saying, that he had gotten everything that he knew. He had been taught everything he knew by the other apostles, and he wanted to make sure that everybody knew that his gospel came only from Jesus Christ. But now people were saying, well, you know, Paul didn't have anything to do with any of the other apostles. He's just out there by himself. He doesn't ever see uh, Peter or James or John. He doesn't ever have anything to do with them. And so Paul is just this independent guy, loose cannon, out there on his own, doing his own thing. Doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. The Lord knew this. And the Lord knew that it was essential then that after 14 years, it was time for him to go back to Jerusalem Go back to the people. But don't miss what's happening. You know, at first they were saying, well, Paul just got everything he got from other people. And so God sent him far off and he didn't have anything to do with other people. And then they said, well, you know, Paul didn't have anything to do with anybody. He's out there by himself. Reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said, woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. You're going to have some critics. And this is the kind of time that brings critics to the forefront. And you know what I'm talking about. You do one thing and somebody complains about that. So you go the other way, somebody complains about that. It's just the way it is. It's part of it. Now this came on the heels of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. Doesn't it bless your heart when somebody's mad at you and hates you? That's what Jesus said. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their father did to the prophets. I have to say to you this morning, I, I don't remember the last time I leaped for joy over anything. It was a long time ago. Whenever it was, I was a lot younger then. But I can assure you I've never leaped for joy because I found out somebody was upset at me or hated me or mad at me or despised me or were complaining about something that I'd said or done. It just is not the kind of thing we do when we find out that. Now, there have been times when I've smiled and said thank you. I had a preacher call me a heretic one time and I thanked him for it. That fellow was so far away from anything even remotely scriptural that if he had told me I'd agreed with him, then, or he agreed with me, uh, I'd been worried. So he said, well, you're a heretic. I said, thank you. Sometimes it's a compliment. Uh, somebody tells you, well, uh, maybe you're not very smart. <laughs> well, sometimes that's a compliment. When somebody, you just have to see where people are coming from. Paul understood then that they had complained because he was getting his message from everybody else. And then they complained because he hadn't gone to see them like they thought he ought to. Let's just get it down in our minds. When we take a stand for the truth of the gospel and for the scriptures, uh, it's going to be unpopular in a lot of circles. Expect to uh, face that criticism because it's going to happen Paul made a convincing case as he came before the Jerusalem church. The Bible says that he declared all the things that God had done through them. How would you have liked to have been in that service? There was Titus, and Titus was just one. He actually took a lot, but here in Galatians, he only mentions Titus. Titus was a Greek. 
Titus had been saved. Titus had been baptized. Titus had been called to preach. And Titus was out there pastoring and working miracles and doing great work. <laughs> it's hard to argue with somebody like that. Because you see, Titus had never circumcised, been circumcised. He was not keeping the law of Moses. And yet there he was being mightily used of God. He was a living, breathing testimony. And then Paul would speak four times of Peter, James, and John as men of having reputation or seeming to be pillars. You see, the ministry of Peter and James and John. James, by the way, was the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And the very people who were criticizing and rejecting Paul had accepted them. And so, yes, I have dealt with these guys that you all think are people of reputation, that you all think are worthy to be listened to. I have sat down with them. He'd been far hence to the Gentiles. But there was no place far hence enough to avoid it. Wherever he went, there were Jews there. Wherever he preached the gospel, there was a Jewish audience to hear it. And they would go right back to Jerusalem. And, and so all of the word of everything that Paul was preaching, everything that he was facing, it was not enough for him to face the violent opposition, even under the shedding of blood that he faced on the mission field. Now here it was going on back in Jerusalem as the news spread of what was going. Now word got around, around slow then. Uh, it traveled at a walking pace. But word still got around. And I want you to know today that the news of what you believe and what you stand for and what you speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ is also going to get around. It can't be hidden. It's going to get around. It's out there. It travels at a much faster pace these days because we're so connected with the whole world. Paul's concern, though, about running in vain wasn't over the validity of the gospel. That wasn't what it was. His concern about running in vain had to do with the fellowship of the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel. Now, we might be asking this morning, well, what does this matter to me? I can see about Paul and I can see about the Jerusalem church and the Jews. But why is this such a big part of the New Testament? Why is so much of the New Testament revelation used to discuss this situation? And the reason is because it still matters to us. And I want to suggest to you two ways that this passage speaks to us very directly and very specifically today. First of all, it emphasizes the importance of the purity of the gospel. Notice in verse 6, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. All of this Paul would attribute to those who were called false brethren, false brethren who crept in unawares. The Jewish people who were attacking Paul and the Gentile churches both in Galatia and back home in Jerusalem were not believers in Christ at all. 
they saw the advance of Christianity simply as an opportunity to grow Judaism. They saw, you know, Jesus was a Jew, and, and uh, therefore they could say to those people who believed on Jesus Christ, well, believing on him is fine, but what you need to do is, is keep the law. And by doing this, they would be building their crowd and building their synagogues and, and creating a, a great advancement for Judaism. That's what they were out to do. But when Paul met with these apostles over this problem, he said, they added nothing to me. Added nothing. We understand that concept. It's the concept of dilution, dilution. You know, some products come in a consecrated, concentrated form and have to be diluted in order to be effective or used. Uh, chlorine bleach, for example, is highly diluted. If it were not it would actually be poisonous when you open that bottle. The gas could burn your lungs and kill you. But it's diluted. It's watered down. And that's a good thing. A little water in a can of latex paint does good things. But too much water, of course, dilutes it and robs it of its effectiveness. And, and when you start trying to use it, you're going to get paint everywhere. And really, the places where you put it, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. You see, some things have to be diluted. Some things can be diluted a little bit. But if you do too much, it's going to rob them of their effectiveness. But I want you to know today that the gospel only works in its purest form. The gospel only works when it is absolutely pure and right. The gospel is simple, and I've told you before, the gospel is about repenting of our sins and believing in the gospel. That's what Jesus went about preaching. He preached repent, that is to turn from their sins and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel is simple. Repent and believe the gospel. But even in our day, we tend to find a way to turn away from that a bit. You might be surprised to learn this morning that the first time uh, that I heard somebody say to somebody else that in order to be saved, you need to ask Jesus in your heart, uh, I was a grown man going to seminary. I'd never heard that before. You might also be surprised that nowhere in the scriptures are we commanded to ask Jesus to come into our heart. That's not in the scriptures. Now if you believe on Jesus Christ. He does come into your heart. But somewhere along the line. This got started. I can't even tell you where it got started. But it was quickly. It quickly passed along. And, and it's uh, very commonplace to hear this. You want to be saved. How do you get saved? Well you ask Jesus in your heart. What's wrong with that? Well. Part of the thing that's wrong with it is you can ask Jesus to come into your heart with ever, without ever repenting of your sin. And the, the salvation comes when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you tell somebody, well, all you got to do is just ask Jesus to come into your heart and they take you literally, then they ask Jesus to come into their heart. But does that mean they've repented of their sin or even acknowledged their sin? You can ask Jesus to come into your heart without hearing a message. Not one word about the cross of Jesus Christ. Not one word about his burial. Not, that is that he was really and sincerely dead. Not one word about the resurrection. 
Now, I'm not saying that somebody can't be saved if they're told to ask Jesus Christ in their heart. But I am saying that if they are saved, they're going to have to learn a little bit more. There's more to it than that. The gospel is simple. It is. But the gospel also must be presented truthfully. It must be presented pure and right. Now, I know why we're so quick to accept it. It's easy for children to understand. Uh, but unfortunately, it's also easy for him to misunderstand. It's also important for us to say that the gospel is not salvation plus baptism or salvation plus the church or salvation plus works or salvation plus the ritual or salvation plus anything. Remember, we don't want to dilute the gospel. You don't add to it because anything we add to it doesn't make it better. It changes it so it's not the same. Remember, Paul warned about false brethren secretly brought in. And Paul said, we did not yield them submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, if one generation, if we preach a, a watered-down gospel or somehow don't get the gospel right or somehow don't get the gospel straight with one generation, then that's going to spread, and it spreads very quickly and very, very rapidly. So Paul says, we didn't give this even a minute's worth of consideration. But we stood up to it completely and totally I'm not saying this morning you have to be a professional preacher to share the gospel, but I do say you need to get it right. The gospel's simple, yes, <laughs> but the gospel is one thing we have to get right. Paul would yell at us across all these centuries, just like he was yelling at the churches in Galatia. He would say to the Lord, and you see how large a letter that I've written with my own hand. You ever been fired up when you wrote a letter? <laughs> yeah, that's the book of Galatians. Paul's fired up. And he'd still be fouled up today. Don't mess with the gospel. Get it right. Make sure you tell it straight. Get it right. Get it right. The fruit of getting the gospel wrong goes in either one of two ways. Either people will grow. They'll continue in church and come to understand that they never really received Christ as our Savior. And I tell you what, when the gospel gets a hold of them, it really gets a hold of them. It's fun to see. It's fun to see. I don't know how many people have given testimony. And I heard a bunch of them this morning after the early service. The people who gave testimony, yes, I asked Jesus in my heart when I was little. And then I came to know I wasn't saved. Why? <laughs> Because they didn't get a clear presentation of the gospel. But they stayed in church. One guy told me the, the, the time that he hated about church the most was the invitation. He said, I was miserable. I was miserable the whole time. I know. I know. But there are also people who are that way. And they are an easy prey for the liberal crowd and for the devil. Because their faith is not valid. Their faith is not genuine. Therefore, their faith is not strong. And for many of them, they've been permanently inoculated against the truth. They turn away. They raise their children then. Because they had tried Christianity as they put it. I tried this and it didn't work for me. Didn't do anything for me. They rejected it. Turned away from it. And they raised their children to believe anything but the Bible. And to believe anything but the gospel. And if you want to know how America has changed so rapidly, so quickly. I think this is one of the ways we have. 
Because I'm afraid that in far too many cases we have turned away. Though the gospel is simple, we have turned away from the purity of the gospel. And we've ended up with a whole lot of people who had a false profession. Some of them, thank God, stayed in church and got it right. And many of you can give that testimony and some of my own kids. But there are many more who didn't. And they've turned away from the Christian faith in droves. So it speaks to us very powerfully then about the purity of the gospel. We've got to get the gospel right. But it also speaks to us of the fellowship of the gospel. When James verse 9 and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. You remember when Paul first went back to Jerusalem after he was saved the churches. Uh, the church didn't accept him. He was able to see Simon Peter, but only Simon Peter was willing to meet with him. And the churches, they didn't accept him. The apostles, they didn't stand up for him. No doubt the death of Stephen was still fresh in everybody's mind and heart, but still this rejection must have stung. And so the Lord told him, by revelation, I mean the Lord appeared to Paul and spoke to him directly and told him to get out of Jerusalem. And he said, I will send you far hence unto the Gentiles. And now 14 years have passed. And Paul described it this way. He said, they didn't see my face for 14 years. And the very expression that he used tells me that he had no intention of them ever seeing his face again. Rejection kind of does that to you, doesn't it? I guarantee you, uh, they won't see my face again. I don't believe Paul would ever have gone back if the Lord hadn't told him to do it. But now he has. He's told him, it is time to go back 14 years. Now, I'm sure Peter, John, and James would have just as soon let this whole thing pass over. But, of course, they weren't given that opportunity. They didn't send out an invitation and invite Paul to bring a bunch of Gentiles to the church of Jerusalem and give a report. They just showed up. Here we are. Let me tell you what God's been doing. And lo and behold, they did. And, man, I'm going to tell you, that was a good old-fashioned Baptist business meeting right there. I guarantee you what that was. Paul said there was no small controversy. There was no small stir. I guarantee you it was no small controversy, no small stir. This thing had been building for 14 years, and now here he is right there in the middle of them. Peter, John, and James were able to meet with him in private. And lo and behold, the same God that had revealed this gospel to Paul was also working to reveal it to Peter, James, and John. That's just the way God works. And when they came out in front of that whole church and Peter, James, and John reached out a hand to Paul and gave him the right hand of fellowship. That meant something. Now I'm sure maybe you grew up in a church like I did where everybody got the right hand of fellowship. I mean, if you made any decision just about, if you went home, went forward and rededicated your life, there's this libel to come back around and, and give you the right hand of fellowship. Everybody in the church shake hands with you. That's easy when there's 27 people there. But, you know, when you get to be a church of uh, three or 400, it's hard to get everybody to come by. And, you know, it takes a long time for everybody to go around and shake hands and hug. And the COVID police would have a fit over that too, man. That's, can't do that anymore. 
well, I, I think we can do that, at least uh, with the handshake is concerned. Uh, just keep your bottle of hand sanitizer handy and sanitize up good after it's done. I, I do that. Somebody just make you shake hands with them anymore. It's okay. It was a symbolism, folk, of it all that mattered. The symbol of it all was that they were united in the gospel. Though they differed in some areas, Peter, James, and John were going to primarily, at least at that time, spend their attention with the Jewish people. Paul was going to primarily spend his time and attention with the Gentiles. There were differences, but they wanted everybody to know they were together in the gospel. There are two things about this I want to share with you this morning, and we're done. First of all, it speaks to us of the importance of church fellowship. Importance of fellowship in the church. It was not uh, coincidental or accidental that all this played out in the church at Jerusalem. Just because there's a virus going around doesn't mean we don't need church fellowship. Yes, it can be somewhat dangerous. Yes, we are taking extra precautions. Yes, I understand that people in time past didn't do such thing. I've heard that probably at least a thousand times by now. Well, we never did do this before. I understand. But you know, we know a lot of things now that we didn't know back then. The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And we know a lot more and how to prevent the spread of it. And I'm, I'm thankful for what we're doing here at Faith Baptist. I'm thankful that when the governor says, you all need to wear a mask. Well, guess what? We've been doing that for a long time. I was okay with that. What we need to guard against is that Christians don't do well in isolation. Jesus Christ invented the church. He started one while he was here. He did it because he knows we need it. We need the church and we need a broader connection with others in the Christian world. We need what, other, what we can receive from others and they need what we can give them. We need the church. The fellowship of the gospel then also speaks to us of the importance of our own personal fellowship with other believers. You see, it's possible and in fact it's fairly regular for people to have disagreements that fracture their fellowship. You may not have to go far hence to Tarsus and be several hours or days journey away from somebody for them not to see your face or to have it in your mind. They won't see my face again. I won't darken that door again. Fourteen years is a long time for somebody not to see your face. This plays often in churches and believers and even in the families of believers. The right hand of fellowship then shows that though there are disagreements, we are together on the gospel. And you may be able to think even right now of somebody that you need to extend a hand to, though it, ex it, it kind of takes away from the sanitation guidelines Maybe you can find another way to do it. Somebody you need to reach out to in some way. Because they hadn't seen your face in a long, long time. Why does that matter to us? It matters because of the fellowship of the gospel. 
You see, it makes it tough to stand up and preach about Jesus Christ as the, the Prince of Peace. If your church is full of turmoil and got a lot of people who won't have anything to do with each other. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to be like Paul and go out everywhere and preach that Jesus Christ has made the Jew and the Gentile one. And we're all one in Christ Jesus. And we're going to be in heaven together forever. Now, we can't go to church with one another and we can't get along. We don't really like each other all that much, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. And it's going to be great when we get to heaven. That's not a very good testimony to the gospel. Fellowship of the gospel is important. This may come, it may be hard for you to believe, but I actually had an argument with a preacher one time, and we differed over some things. And uh, unfortunately, we argued. We got on the computer. We were discussing things, and we'd argued in a kind of a public way. Now, it wasn't, I didn't think we'd been ugly. Uh, Nancy said I wasn't playing very well. But I, I, I don't think we were ugly. We just disagreed very strongly over a matter of Scripture. Went to an associational meeting, and in the providence of God, there was that preacher sitting at the door when I had to go in. And I couldn't even get into the meeting without dealing with him. So I saw him. I spoke to him. I shook hands with him. We talked a moment. We didn't settle anything. We didn't even talk about our disagreement. We went on our way. He still believed the same way he did. I still believe the same way I did. But, you know, if there was one person came up to me during that meeting, there was two or three dozen that came up to me. Oh, I saw you, brother so-and-so. Y'all were shaking hands. Is everything okay? Did y'all all get everything settled? No, no, we didn't. As far as I know, I still believe the way I believed, and he's still wrong. Far as I know. <laughs> but you know what? I could shake hands with the man because we believe the same gospel. We do. We're on the same team. We believe the same gospel. He preaches the same Jesus that I do. And you got some folk in your life that you're struggling with, and it might be in your family. But aren't you glad that you're in the family of God? That's what that right hand of fellowship does for us. It reminds us that we're in God's forever family. Same Jesus died for him that died for you. Same Jesus saved him or her that saved you. We're in the family of God. Wouldn't it be awful if God had to put us in time out when we got to heaven? Wouldn't that be awful? I'm going to set you down until you two learn how to play nice. We can get past that. If Peter, James, and John, and Paul could stand up in front of the whole church and shake hands. After everything that had happened. After Paul had been beat to death with rocks and drug outside the city. If they could stand up in front of that church and shake hands. And say we're together in the gospel. If they could do that. You know what? We can do that too. I wish I could tell you that after they had that meeting. And they shook hands in front of everybody. Everything was fine. But if you stay tuned back in next Sunday. Or come back here. You're going to find out everything wasn't fine. 
Folk, we're fallen critters and we live in a fallen world. And it's a struggle. I want you to know the struggle never goes away. Because we face a determined enemy. And he loves to make a mockery. Listen to me, folk. I'm almost done. He loves to make a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand before a turmoil-filled world. Preaching the gospel of peace. And the devil hates it. And he loves to use us. To say that gospel is nothing. The fellowship of the gospel is important. And the purity of the gospel is important. And both of them are on display for us here in Galatians chapter 2. I don't know what this message means to you today. It may mean that God is touching your heart because he knows and somewhere inside of you, you know that your salvation experience was not genuine. Listen, folk, that's not an isolated thing. It happens to more people than we like to admit. It happens a lot that people make some kind of a profession. Maybe it was a flawed presentation of the gospel. Maybe somebody just went. Maybe one of your buddies said, you, know, you do this or that. I don't know. But I do know that God does not intend for your faith to be a question mark. But an exclamation point. And when the gospel gets a hold of you, you'll know it. You'll know it. And you know it if it hasn't. And the fellowship of the gospel. It's, uh, it's hard seeking those folks out. Trying to make a difference. You say well they probably won't talk to me. They might just turn their back. Okay. But you never know how God might use it. We're going to have. Uh, I'm going to ask for the bill to come. He's going to close us out with a, with a song. And then in a moment we'll have prayer. But I want our people here in this building and our people watching at home to use this time to think about the purity of the gospel and the fellowship of the gospel.